Good morning, beloved. As we have been making our way through this series, we have noticed that there are contrasts between earthly adoption and spiritual adoption. Often the earthly adoption does not line up with a spiritual adoption. It doesn't always fit. Uh, Paul uses the uh, concept or metaphor of adoption to point us to a relationship with God. And so there are some similarities and some uh, differences. And as we go through it, I think it helps to illustrate when there is similarities. I try to bring those up and show you so that you can see how it's similar. And then there's ways that it doesn't. And I try to point those out too as we go along. I hope you're all being edified and encouraged by these passages that have been talking about adoption and how we become children of God. I have uh, grown in my love for my Heavenly Father as we've gone through this, just studying these passages, and I hope you are too. Recently, we received a newsletter from one of the foundations that have given us funds to help bring Samuel home from China. Many of you know that we are adopting a little boy from China. He is now three years old, um, and we are longing to go get him. The Lydia Fund uh, sent a newsletter. If you're ever looking for a, uh, a, a fund to help you to, to adopt, this might be one for you to consider. It's an amazing uh, foundation. I think it's associated with some of the people with Desiring God and... and, and John Piper's ministry, they have supported thousands of children. Uh, It's just very, very encouraging, so pray for them. Uh, But the Lydia Fund sent this newsletter and gave a testimony uh, of a couple of just how difficult it can be to rescue children from orphaned uh, state, from that orphaned state in other countries. The story in this newsletter was of a missionary couple who were living in Croatia, serving the Lord there faithfully. The couple started the process of adopting two little children from the country of the Democratic Republic of Congo in Africa in 2013. In February 2014, the government of Congo finalized the adoption. However, there was a problem. The government responded to some bad circumstances with adoptions, froze the departure of any of the children from their country. So no children can leave Congo or could not leave the Congo even if they had been adopted. So this couple, this missionary couple in Croatia, that's Europe or close to Europe, moved to Congo, Africa, to start ministering to these two little children. In order to take care of the two children that they had adopted, they had to move to Congo and begin to help these children. They have lived in the country since since that time. They're still there as of the newsletter, taking care of this family or these two little kids. This is... A degree or gives you a little picture of how hard it can be to adopt children around the world. The government is only now allowing families to leave. They gave approval for 200 children to finally leave that were already adopted and parents were already supporting these children in Congo. 
Some up to four years have been supporting these children and taking care of them. Many of them moved there to take care of them. This is just one of the thousands of stories of orphans and rescuing orphans and how it can be a long and painful and costly process to be adopted and brought into a family. Some families can't move to the country, but they are literally supporting the children from another country. Can you imagine the hardships that would be like? What would that be like? The pain involved there. You would see pictures all the time. You could talk to them, but you could not bring them home. You just saw them in their pain and in their circumstances, and you watched them suffer from a distance. Everyone is in this state of limbo, waiting for their children. So the question is, is the hardship worth it? Is the suffering worth it? Is it worth going through all of this pain to bring these children into your home? And the answer is an emphatic, yes, it's worth it. Why are these Hardship's worth it. Well, because a child is rescued and a new family relationship is established. So is the pain worth it? Absolutely. We remind ourselves, Brenda and I, daily as we wait for the paperwork to be completed by two giant um, governments trying to get things together to allow us to bring Samuel home. Day after day rolls by and he continues to be in that orphanage and we continue to long to bring him home. Is it worth it? (laughs) Yes! Because one day we're going to bring that little boy home. One day he's going to get to meet his brothers and sister. One day he's going to be able to say, Daddy... And I'm going to reach down and grab him up and we're going to sing together. Is it worth it to suffer? Yes, it's worth it. You know, in a similar way, the road to be adopted by God is also a long, painful, costly road. Do you understand to be adopted into God's family... The father had to send his one-of-a-kind son into this hostile world. The father sent the son. The spirit supernaturally put the son in the Virgin Mary. The son was born and grew up as a common carpenter. You think it was long and hard and painful? The son lived a perfect, holy life, but was mocked, mistreated, And rejected. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. The son was rejected, betrayed, tried, and murdered on a cross. The son was judged by the father for the sins of all those he would adopt into his family. The son was buried and rose from the dead. And all of this pain, all of this, was it worth it? Yes, it was. 
And the amazing thing is, is that only begins the pain. That only begins the pain. What? I thought when Jesus finished it, he finished it all. <laughs> oh, beloved. This adoption process for us to be brought into God's spiritual home is a long, painful process. And it is for every single believer in this room, including yours truly. It begins with repentance and rebirth and being sealed with the Spirit. And that's a glorious time, isn't it? When we turn from our sins and embrace Christ and our sins are paid for, right? It is a good time, isn't it? But we're still in these bodies of death, aren't we? And we begin that process of killing sin daily, dying to self daily, relying upon the Spirit to make us holy. And making this man look holy is a painful process. How about you? Making you look like Christ, is it easy? Top of that, we continue to live in this world. This painful world to live in. Isn't it painful? You, you say, well, why are you being so down? Let's be positive. What do you want me to do? Would you rather me just be fake? And paint this on? Are y'all hurting? Doesn't it hurt to live here? Or are we just kind of putting rose-colored glasses on and ignoring all the death and pain and agony that we see every day? It's painful to live here, isn't it? It's as if we're stuck in that country still. The child of God continually calls out to their father, Abba, Father. But we don't see him, do we? We don't fully know Him as He knows us, do we? Years and years go by, and suffering continues. So the question is, is all this suffering worth it? If you're waiting for your joy to come here, that is, now listen, we have joy in Christ, but joy in our circumstances, not necessarily. For waiting for things to get better, have you noticed that your body, if you're anywhere near my age, is starting to die? I don't know about you, but when I roll out of bed, my feet hurt. Find myself waking up in the middle of the night and rolling over because it hurts to stay in the same spot every day and for a long period of time. So is all this suffering worth it? We have seen over the last two weeks that the process of becoming like Jesus as children of God involves participation with God. God works in us and through us to make us look like His Son. It's a long, hard process where the children depend upon the Father. 
and then are changed by the Spirit. We've seen we are sin slayers, aren't we? If you look at 8.13, For if you were, are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What does this mean? We are sin slayers. We are children that are in the process of killing sin in our life, and that is painful. We are fellow witnesses with the Spirit. We cry out, Abba, Father, by the Holy Spirit that lives within us. In 8.16, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And we are fellow heirs. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs of Christ. We are heirs with Christ. That is, we have an inheritance with Christ, the one who had victory over death and is now seated in heaven. We are heirs with Him. But I don't know about you guys, but I don't feel it a lot of times. Do heirs of Christ look like us? We're, not many of us are wearing royal robes. Where's the mansion? Should we be like the name it and claim it guys, the prosperity guys? Go just claim it. Get it now. Beloved, this is, this is the Apostle Paul speaking and he doesn't talk like that. I've learned to be content with all things, whether riches or what? Poverty. And any and all things. Going hungry. And any and all things we've learned to be satisfied. Right? In Christ. It's not about what we have here. Because after all, we are also what? Indeed, we suffer with Him. We're fellow sufferers with Christ. Do you consider yourself a fellow sufferers with Christ? Boy, this goes totally contrary to what we are told in much of the evangelical world, right? Get it now! Your best life now? Uh Uh-uh. We suffer with Christ. But why? What's the purpose of all this suffering? So that we may be glorified with Him. So that we may be glorified with Him. The pain of living in this world is necessary. In fact, suffering is not an option for the believer. It is a promise. How about that for a promise? You came to church to hear today from a pastor that here's your promise. You're going to suffer. And if you're not suffering with Christ, guess what? You might not be a Christian. What? You're kidding me. Fact. Why? Because at the bare minimum, you're still living in this planet. And at the secondary, you better be killing sin in your life. Otherwise, the Spirit's not living in you. And that's a painful process, correct? Correct, folks? Our glorification depends upon it. The reason we suffer is so that we can be glorified with Him. This suffering comes from various places, right? From within, dying daily. Of our selfishness and our desires, our sinful desires, they have to be killed. Or from outside, persecution for the faith. Or even just being mistreated by the world. 
by the wicked world that we live in. Anybody been mistreated this week? And from the cursed world. How about sicknesses, diseases, natural disasters? Are they happening? Yeah, my poor wife, she's been fighting this one cold for three weeks. It keeps hanging on. Give us one good cough, <laughs> right? Can't. It's just hanging on. Why? Because she lives in this world, this cursed planet. Are we suffering? Yeah. So, is the suffering that we are presently experiencing worth enduring for the glory to come? Is it worth it? That's what Paul begins to answer in this passage. Our passage, we see three emphatic reasons that affirm it is well worth enduring suffering for the glory to come. This is so important, folks. This does not say your glory is now. It says your glory is to come. And it's worth it. So let's walk down through this passage and see why it's worthy to suffer for Christ's sake, with Christ, by the Spirit's work. Why is it worthy? We see it in this passage. First, notice in verse 18. Glory is incomparable to our present suffering. In verse 18 it says, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, usually most of us don't start sentences with the word for. Why is it there? For is at the beginning of this verse because it explains why suffering to be glorified is worth it. He begins to explain it. For I consider the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared. And remember in verse 17 he talked about if indeed you suffer, right? So now he explains why is it worth it. And Paul himself implies emphatically. He says, yes, suffering is worth it. It's worth it. He says, in effect, yes, dying daily, killing sin, suffering persecution, living on a cursed planet is worth it. Why? For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I want you to notice Paul states at the beginning of this, for I consider, this is a present tense verb, and I think there's an emphasis here. He's emphasizing the ongoing considerations of Paul. This is how Paul continually thinks. What Paul is meditating on, what he continues to meditate on, what he continues to think on, this is what he puts in his mind. We have said this number, numerous times, but it can't be said enough. What we think on controls how we live. Now, get this, very important. What we think on, what we meditate on, what we consider is how it controls how we live. Okay, now I want you to think about this. Context, context. Suffering, suffering, suffering. It's coming on you, it's coming on you. What are you supposed to do? 
You're supposed to think properly in light of the suffering that's coming upon you. What are you supposed to think? You're supposed to think like Paul here, as he was continually being beaten and mistreated, beaten numerous times for the faith. For I consider, I continue to meditate on, that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What is this, the sufferings of this present time? It's obviously related to what he mentioned back in 8, 12 to 17. It's the suffering of killing sin. It's the suffering of being in this world. This suffering includes every difficult we face in the world. From persecution of our faith to mosquito-transmitted diseases. From sunburns to road rage. From losing our jobs to cancer, getting cancer. From living in a cursed world to the ongoing death of self mentioned in 8.13. Beloved, this includes everything. Now again, I think a lot of people say, well, if you're suffering and you're not suffering for persecution's sake, does it count? Yes, it counts. It still requires what? Dependence upon the Father. You still got to look up and say, Abba, Daddy. He's still sovereign over all of those events. Including cancer, right? Including all things. This is the suffering of the present time we live in. It points to the present reality during this time. This literally is suffering of this now time. Paul establishes a time to be contrasted with a future time. Sufferings of this now time. This suffering that is common during our time. We live in a time of pain, don't we? So what are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with this? Are we going to ignore it? (laughs) Are we going to say it's not a reality? Are we going to fake it in order to make it? Are we going to ignore it when our relatives die? Are we just going to forget it? Move on. What are we going to do? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to consider that the sufferings of this present time do not compare at all to the glory to come at glorification. Beloved, this is not the story our world wants to hear, does it? You know, we could pack this place out. I'm sure of it. We could. If I got up here and began to just, I'd lose all of y'all, but I'd get a whole bunch of new people. If I just got up here and started telling you, just claim it. Just draw a circle around it and pray for it. And one day you're going to get it. We'd fill this place up. We'd be changing buildings quick. And I'd be driving a Lexus. Or a what? Or two of them. Yeah. 
in a jet plane, right? But beloved, this is the message of the prosperity gospel and this is not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible says, suffer now, glory later. The suffering of this now time are not worthy to be compared with the glory to come. Not worthy at all. You can't even compare it. The phrase has the idea of a scale with weights on either side, but one side doesn't come close in weight. What glory is going to be like is so much weightier than anything that the world has to offer. The weight of glory is far greater than the pain of suffering. That's how you could translate that. That's the concept. The suffering are not even in the same league. Now, isn't this an obvious statement? Isn't this obvious? Why did Paul even say it? Why did he even say this statement? Why would he say it this way? Suffering and glory don't have anything in common, do they? Do suffering and glory have anything in common? They are total opposites. In every sense of the word, sufferings are painful and glory is delightful. Suffering is temporary while glory is what? Eternal. Suffering hurts while glory comforts. They're totally opposite. But that's his point. They don't even fit in the same universe together. What you're going through... All the suffering you go through right now in this now time doesn't even compare to the glory and joy and eternality of heaven. And being with Him. The depth of suffering doesn't come close close to the height of glory. Now, beloved... We've said this. You've probably heard this, haven't you? You've heard some of this before, haven't you? But when we're in the midst of suffering on this planet, what happens? When we're struggling, what goes through our minds? We feel like the suffering is forever. We feel like we can't handle it. We feel like we're going to crack. We feel like the pain is too much to bear. We feel like we are all alone in our pain. Don't we? But we must not trust our feelings. We must consider with Paul this word logizomai. Does it sound familiar? Logic? Where we get our word logic? That same concept? We must use spiritual logic. We must reckon in our minds what is reality, what is the truth. This pain is temporary, heaven is great. Glory is amazing. 
We must preach to our minds, this is temporary, that is forever. We must affirm and trust in these facts. This suffering does not come even close to the glory to come. We've said it before. By the way, do you see how if we talk about this message to the world, they're just going to not get that? That's not going to make much sense, is it? In our world that it's all about what you do now, and it's all about success now, and it's all about what you have now, can you imagine this message is going to be what to the world? It, it's just... What? But we who know Christ, we who know what God does with suffering, understand something different. That's why we start with what? The gospel. What do people tell you whenever you're talking to them about God and they're atheists or against God? What do they often bring up? Suffering! And what is the message that the Christian has? The Christian has this. Yep, there is suffering now because sin's in the world. You need to repent and believe in God. And if you do, one day we're going to go to heaven. And one day he's going to come back here and he's going to clean things up. Might not be in your lifetime, but you need to trust him. What do they say? You're nuts. But that's the message of the Bible. And that's what we consider to be reality and truth, because it is truth. The glory that is to be revealed to us is what we're looking for. Like the rest of our salvation, God initiates grace, doesn't he? He revealed our sinfulness and our need of our Savior. He gave us a new heart. He's working in us. By his grace, we are being sanctified. And by the way, we're going to be revealed as children of God by God too at glorification. He's going to show it to be true. I would argue that glorification is now the primary theme of Romans. He's changed and Shifted from sanctification to glorification. But here's a fact for you, and I want you to understand this. In order for you to be sanctified, you must have an eye on glorification. In order for you to be different from this world, to be totally different from this world, you must have an understanding that God has a big and better plan at the end. And that is to make you look like Christ. You must see the end in order to be sanctified today. So, it says glory that is to be revealed to us. Whose glory is this? Is it our glory? (laughs) Or God's glory? Yes. (laughs) Beloved, we're going to be glorified. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to be glorified. What does that mean? You're going to have a giant mansion? No, that's not the primary thing, I believe. No, I don't think that's the main thing. I believe it means that we are going to be made to look like Jesus completely. And we will find our full and utter joy 
in God, unhindered, forever. <laughs> Woo, that's going to be good. No more sin. So is the suffering that we're presently experiencing worth, worth enduring for the glory to come? And the answer is an emphatic what? Yeah. We hold on, don't we? We persevere. Notice second, he gives a second reason. He says the creation eagerly anticipates our glorification. In verse 19 it says, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from the slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. What do we see? The creation eagerly anticipates our glorification. Why is it worth suffering? The answer is because the creation eagerly anticipates our glorification. To a degree, the creation is showing it gets it, even if we don't get it. How is this related to the previous verse? It says, for the suffering of this present time is compared to the glory to come. This paragraph further explains the present time and the glory to come. And it shows it through the perspective of the creation. Notice it starts with the anxious longing of the creation. This is really a neat little word. It's actually one word in the Greek. And it's three Greek words smashed together. Apa, kara, and dakeo. And apa has the idea of off from. Now, here we go. We're going to put all this together. Think about this for a second. It's really good. It'll make you think. Apa, off from. Kara, head. Off from head. Hmm. Dakeo, to watch. Off from head to watch. Off from head to watch. What in the world does that mean? I want you to think about this for a second. It has the idea of to watch with our heads up high. You know like an animal stretches its head up to look to see what's coming? It's that whole idea that the creation has its heads up, paying close attention, waiting Longing. It's like stretching its head up, watching with great expectation of what's to come. The creation is longing anxiously for a day to come. What has this anxious longing? It's the creation. It says this, and by the way, this is probably here excluding humanity at this point. So Paul is focused on the non-image bearing Parts of creation, like the land, the sea, the animals, the insects, the birds, the rivers, the stars, the planets. The creation itself is characterized as anxiously longing. Now, this does not mean that the creation literally worries and has feelings. He's personifying. He's giving it a... A human characteristic. 
to explain what's happening in the earth right now. It means that the creation experiences the effects of the curse and would like to be free from its effects. So what is the creation doing? Look, folks, it is waiting eagerly. Presently, it is continuously, constantly, longing with expectation, waiting with anticipation. Now, what's the creation waiting for with anticipation? Look, it says, for the revealing of the sons of God. The revealing here is the same root word that starts from the book of Revelation. It has the idea of to reveal or to expose or to unveil. This is speaking of a future time when all who are God's children are revealed to be who they are. Children of God. In this world, by the way. It's not just heaven. It's going to be here on earth. The earth is waiting for the children of God to be shown to be who they are. That's a time in the future. Now, contrary to the tree huggers, the creation doesn't think it's just a valuable part of the creation. It actually knows to a degree and understands. Now, it's not mentally thinking this, but it knows its place. The birds know they're birds, not humans. The, the, the creation is ultimately what? The pinnacle of creation is what? Humanity. And it's all, this creation is all about what? Humanity. Contrary to those guys that were all bent out of shape for catching a shark. And it suffocating on the beach. And then being released to go kill several other animals. Beloved, humans are more valuable than the animal world. And especially God's adopted children. God's adopted children are going to get revealed for who they are. So the present suffering doesn't compare to the glory to come, and the creation gets it. Why does the creation long for our glorification? Look in verse 20 and 21. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Wow. The creation waits eagerly for our redemption because it has been subjected to futility. Now, what does this mean? This was a past action of the Lord. God is the one who subjected the creation to futility. Boy, that doesn't fit in the save the planet world, does it? Who's the the biggest cause of global warming. God. I cannot believe you said that. Do you understand that every volcano that explodes sends thousands and thousands of amounts of gases into the into the atmosphere? Why are the volcanoes going off? 
God subjected it to futility. It's part of the curse. Beloved, this is very clear. Paul makes sure to note that the creation itself did not have a say in its present circumstances. God subjected the creation to futility is the implied ultimate mover. He's the grand one that started this. Why? Because Adam and Eve sinned. And ultimately it was God's plan. God is the one who subjected it to futility. The earth suffers. Animals die. The whole creation suffers because God has put it under the judgment of His own free will. The creation has no choice. Suffer. And anybody in the room, you're all like, man, that's harsh. That's really hard. It's God. God does what God does. And sometimes we need to just trust Him. He set it up this way. That's why we can know He hates sin, right? Because He set the creation up in futility, groaning... Why? Because of sin. It's worthless futility. Emptiness. Having no purpose. Interestingly enough, creation was meant to be placed a place where mankind could enjoy God. But instead, it's presently a place where mankind abuses the creation and mocks the God who made it. So what do we do with creation? I want you to think about this. Look back at Romans 1. This is interesting. In Romans 1, it says, in Romans, it talks about what happens to humanity when they reject God and they're given over. What happens is, the creation actually becomes the object of worship. Wow, that's futile for the creation. The creation understands, this is worthless. You're you're worshiping me? That's nuts. 122, professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible men, man, and of birds, and four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. So what do humans do with the creation? They worship it. You know what that is? A futile position. That's a purposeless thing. And even the world, to a degree is groaning under this use. Back to 8. So was God some mean ogre that just wanted to make creation suffer? No. God had a plan even from the beginning when He brought the curse upon the earth. And He did it in hope, it says. In hope. What's the point? That the creation itself would also be set free from its slavery. Oh, this is good news, folks. You know, there is coming a day when that curse will be lifted. It's a beautiful thing. What is the creation's hope? It's, it, it also will be set free from the slavery to corruption. But it's very interesting that it's tied to who? To us. Into the freedom in glory of the children of God. It's amazing. 
But again, notice the creation redemption from a curse is tied directly to us. That when we are glorified, when the earth is restored, it's ultimately God showing off. These are my children. So what characteristic of the creation reveal is eagerly awaiting the future glory? Notice in verse 22, it says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth together until now. You know, folks, didn't it happen this week? Did y'all see the groaning in the news this week of the creation? 250 people died in Italy at an earthquake. It's groaning. Did you know, I looked this up last night, it's very interesting, that the USGS estimates that there's several million earthquakes occurring in the world every year that they have recorded up to 20,000 earthquakes a year. Recorded earthquakes that are happening all the time. This whole planet is groaning under the weight of the curse. And as we watch that hurricane form out in the coast, hopefully not, right? But if it does, what is that? The groaning. It's the suffering, the pains of childbirth, even until now. Again, this is a personification of the creation state. And all the women in the room that have had a natural childbirth say, I understand that pain. Any of y'all watched that before? Any, any of you men watch it? I know it's, a, it's not for the weak of heart. It's intense, isn't it? Watching a baby come into the world. Paul knew it, and his readers knew it. And this is why he used it as an illustration. Perfect illustration, isn't it? The idea of what? Groaning and suffering pain. One can see this pain everywhere we look. And where are we? We're on this painful planet. But is it worth it? Yes. Because of the glory to come when it will be set free and the glorious gospel will be realized and shown in its people. I think it's important for us to understand that the creation echoes the suffering is worth it. It says it's worth it. So let's look at this final point. It's really good. The spirit indwelt believers eagerly await our glorification. Here it is, folks. This is the punchline. Is it worth it? Is the suffering we struggle with, is it worth it? The answer is an emphatic, yes, it is definitely worth it. And who says it? Everybody in the room, that spirit and dwelt. Everybody in the room says, the suffering is worth it. And not only this, But we also, or also we ourselves, having the first fruit of the Spirit, that is the Spirit of God dwelling within us, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Oh, folks, this is an amazing verse. This is one to memorize. When you're going through suffering, this is the one to have memorized. Right here, this is it. What we see here is pain to glory. That's what it's all about. And the believer understands it. We understand this pain 
to glory paradigm. Not only does Paul get it, we get it, don't we? Why do we get it? Why do we understand it? Well, because the Spirit of God lives within us. And the Spirit of God says what? This is not our home. God is our Father. Things are better with Him, not here. Does this mean our suffering is insignificant? And mark this. I want you to listen. I want you to get this important point. No. Look, beloved, listen to me closely. I know that there are, I'm looking around the room, I know of several people in the room that are suffering more than I am right now. I understand that. I get that. I want you to understand, I'm not saying that this passage says your suffering doesn't matter and it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying that. a matter of fact, this passage doesn't say that. This passage says that your pain is real and it causes you to do what? Groan. Just like the creation is groaning, earthquakes, you're groaning. I get it. I get it. And if you're not groaning, maybe you're not pursuing holiness enough. Get it. But how do we counsel our hearts? How do we counsel our hearts when we're groaning? When we're hurting? We counsel our hearts with the great truth that this is not our home and this is not my redeemed body. And I'm a child of God. Now, wait a minute. This verse says something, and it's shocking when you first read it. It says this. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. Wait. Are you adopted? He says we're waiting for it. How can you be adopted if he says we're waiting for it? Are you redeemed? He says we're waiting for it. You say we have it. Are we set free from all sin? Do you have glorified bodies? Are you enjoying full fellowship with your heavenly Father? No, 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 no. This is that already not yet pain that we live in. We know it's to be true that we are adopted, don't we? We know it is that He is our Abba Father. We know it because God has changed our heart. He's put a spirit within us. And so it testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. However, full adoption has not happened yet. It's almost like we're in that country in Congo, waiting still. We're waiting Beloved, are we set free from sin and death? We have new hearts, but we're always still in these bodies of death. 
Beloved, I believe this aspect of spiritual adoption is nothing like earthly adoption, if you really look at it. When Samuel comes home, folks, he's, when I adopt him, he's mine. <laughs> but there's an element of spiritual adoption that just doesn't fit here. And that is, is that we're already adopted, but we're not yet adopted. We're still waiting for the fullness of that adoption. We are children of God. We are heirs of God. I sure don't feel like an heir all the time. When I'm sinning, I sure don't look like a child of God, right? But we are still His children. If we have repented and trusted in Christ, God lives within our soul. We are His children. And one day... Adoption will be completed. And we will be known as we are known. There are a couple of key phrases here in this passage that need to be highlighted and we'll just move ahead. But I want you to understand, in verse 19, revealing of the sons of God, verse 21, the glory of the children of God, and verse 23, the adoption as sons and the redemption of our body, All of those phrases are describing the same thing. That coming day. When we are going to be glorified. We are going to be redeemed from these bodies of death. All three of these phrases describe what we're looking forward to as children of God. And I want you to understand something, folks. And get this real close. Get this very important aspect of the Christian walk. Listen. Sanctification, walking with God, involves a word. Hope. Hope. Now, this isn't a hope that we say, well, maybe we'll get it. I sure hope that comes to pass. It's a confident expectation of something to happen in the future. Okay? We live in that hope. We live in that confident expectation that things are going to get better when? Later. We live with our minds and our hearts and our attention on that day. We are eschatological in thinking. We think of the end. We're not like this world. I know you live in a society and a culture that says, I got to have it now. But that is not biblical thinking. Biblical thinking says, I'm confidently expecting what I don't see now. I don't live for this. I live for then. Wow, that's different, isn't it? If you're living for then, your life's going to be totally different than anybody in this world. Aren't you? How do you deal with suffering? Is it worth it? Absolutely, it's worth it. For it's in that day that the one that we cry out to, Abba Father, we will be with him. And our brother and Lord will be preeminent amongst us. 
just to give you a little bit of encouragement, there's one more that groans with you in your suffering. It's in the verses that follow. I'm not going to exposit it. I don't want you to get it. The Spirit groans with you. All of you that are born again, sealed, sealed by the Spirit, you have a Spirit that lives within you, that groans with you in your suffering and calls you to look to Him and trust Him for He is where our hope is found. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this Word. Thank You for this encouragement. Lord, we, we all admit that this is not our first thought. <laughs> that when pain and suffering come into our life, our first thought is, fix it, Lord. Or how can we fix it? We understand that suffering isn't our first choice. We understand that despite it not being what we want, we know that we are experiencing it. And we have nowhere to run from it. For we live in this cursed planet. And everywhere we look, including ourselves, we see the effects of that sin of Adam. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to cling to you to remind ourselves of our identity in Christ. Help us, Father, to look to you, depend upon you, and hope in the end, the glorification of your children. Help us, Father, now, as we go our way to proclaim the glorious good news of Jesus Christ, the one who made adoption possible for sinners like us. Help us, Father, to serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.